The following is a midnight entertainment presentation. Hey gang, what a great first episode we had last week, and the reviews are already pouring in. I'm Gene Sisko, the Chicago Tribune. This time an idiotic script sinks the whole show. Like they say on Saturday Night Live, I hate when that happens. That's a logical error among many logical errors. We go in with such high expectations, critics and regular people too, but then all we see are the crass business decisions that lead to an inferior product. Hey, 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 wait just a minute. Our crass decisions had nothing to do with business. They were purely ego-driven. It's time for 30 minutes of sci-fi, 30 minutes of fantasy, 30 minutes of pop culture, movies, and TV. It's time for 30 minutes of geek. And now, a strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Your host for 30 Minutes of Geek, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, welcome to the worldwide broadcast that is more fun than a Klingon drinking game. It's 30 Minutes of Geek, and I'm your host, Jim Yelton. I want to apologize right off the bat for a little bit of a delay in this second episode. We had some technical difficulties. We got everything up and running, though. And you may have noticed at the top of the show a new voice involved with the show. That is Rachel. Our robotic announcer would probably be the right way to put it. I am a Pardo Series 9000 announcer droid, not a robot. A robot is a mindless automaton. This unit is far from mindless. I have the computing power of 5,000 Krillax supercomputers. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry, you're not a robot. Geez, for a machine, you're awfully sensitive. Anyway, this week on the show, we'll take our first dip into the listener mailbag, and we have details on how you can join us for an evening of awesome, as 30 Minutes of Geek will be live on stage in Columbia, Missouri. But first, let's continue our chat with author Van Allen Plexico about Phase 2 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Van is the founder of White Rocket Books, co-creator of the superhero novel series The Sentinels, and his latest work is Legion 3, Kings of Oblivion, the third volume of his epic space opera military science fiction series The Shattering. Van was kind enough to be our first guest for the premiere of the show last week, and we were able to look at the beginnings of the current run of Marvel films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we started to touch on the Phase 2 movies with a conversation about Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World. Now we pick up this week beginning with our thoughts on Captain America the Winter Soldier. I need to preface this by saying that I really loved Captain America the Winter Soldier, and I was glad that they kept the Cap sequel grounded compared to the broader cosmic plot that they had in the Avengers, and I was really worried that they were going to kind of go off on this road to Thanos and kind of lead towards Avengers 3, and I was really worried that they were going to kind of go big and broad and cosmic with Cap 2. So what did Van think? Did he feel the same way? Yeah, well, I think that touches on what we were saying, that they Marvel, I think the Marvel movie people have done a decent job with the cosmic stuff like Thor and all, but where they really are doing well is the stuff that's more realism, kind of real world grounded. They get that, I think, a little bit more. It's a little easier to show in a movie, to be fair. Yeah. And so Captain America 2 was entirely that. So, And they're also, I think, better with the 
street-level characters than they are with the big, powerful characters. And again, that's to be expected. I understand that. And so with Captain America, you have, it's like a little mini Avengers of just street-level characters. So it gives you a lot of what Avengers gave you as a team. It's ba- I mean, Captain America 2 is basically a team movie. And, and it gives you a team of street level characters in cars and motorcycles and, you know, running around punching. And that's what Marvel is really best at right now. Not that they're bad at the other stuff, but that's where they really are showing their most strength. I mean, Iron Man, I don't think those movies are quite as successful technically like that because they have a little of the fantastic to them that there's, that they did an amazing job with in Iron Man 1, but they're still kind of working out. I mean, it's, it's Downey's personality that's, that's carrying those movies as much as Anything. But yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention about Captain America 2 while we're talking about it, you know, Chris Evans, I was opposed to him being cast originally, and I didn't love him in the first Captain America movie, but I'll say this, because if you go back and watch the Fantastic Four movies, as wretched as they are, he's awesome in them as Johnny yeah, he's, Storm. He's great as Johnny Storm. He's a great Johnny Storm, and he still kind of looked to me like Johnny Storm in the first Captain America movie, especially when the first half of the movie, he's the wimpier, you know, younger, whatever, Steve Rogers. But I think that in, in Avengers, he was better, and in Captain America 2, for the first time i could really see steve rogers and that's yeah it's almost like he's gotten older just in the last couple of years he seems older he carries himself more like steve rogers would you know more deliberate you know not the young impetuous guy that's not steve rogers he's the exact opposite of that so so he's kind of won me over just in the last movie or two by seeming to have more gravitas to him and it's funny that you mentioned that because i had a discussion with somebody along those same lines because i said as much as i love the first avenger and I thought he was great in it. I thought the story was great. Everything worked in that movie for me. It was weird because that still wasn't the Captain America that I grew up knowing. And I I think we have always pictured Captain America as being that very self-assured leader. I mean, whenever something big goes down in the Marvel Universe, every hero on the planet turns to Cap to be the leader. I mean, he's the guy that steps up and he's always the leader, you know, to the point where those couple of stretches in the Avengers when he wasn't leading the team, it just seemed like there was something wrong. And even whoever was chairman of the Avengers at the time would kind of defer to him and ask for his opinion on things. And, you know, he was always the one saying, nope, you're in charge. You know, you're the leader of this team. I'm just here. And I think our vision of who Steve Rogers is finally was put on screen in this movie because it was that very confident, self-assured, I know what I'm doing, God. Yeah, yeah. And it's it has me giddy to think about where he's going to be in the next Avengers movie. So Cap 2 was really great. What did you feel about the shocker that Hydra had infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. all these years and mm. and was basically running S.H.I.E.L.D.? How they left it at the end of the movie, that they basically dismantled S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury went off you know, to be a ghost. And, and there was no more S.H.I.E.L.D. And I don't know if you've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on TV episode for episode, but you know that impacted that show greatly. It impacted the future of the MCU. CU greatly. How did you feel about them kind of basically saying Shield's done? Yeah, I was kind of divided about that. I mean, I, I certainly didn't see it coming. I mean, I guess again in retrospect, they have a very limited amount of time to get all this storytelling done. So if you if you build Shield up as something big in two or three movies, you're not going to wait four or five, six more movies to start doing something with it. You got to get on with things. So you need to tear it on down now. So I kind of got 
got that, even though I can, again, I can see that in retrospect, but at the time it surprised me. But it's another, it's another example, like I was talking about a minute ago, of how these phase two movies were a lot of times sort of built around setting up Avengers 2 and Avengers 3, because I just felt like, just like Iron Man 3 was designed to get him out of the armor, Captain America 2 was designed to get him out of shield. It's like that each of these movies is trying to take away the, you know, something important from the main characters so that in Avengers, they'll have to be brought back together and reassembled, basically. To yeah. But, pardon the, the expression. But, yeah. But the thing that I really liked about it was it not only affected the movies, I mean, it obviously affected their TV show because those characters have to deal with their not being a shield anymore and, and kind of rebuilding it. But from a movie standpoint, it kind of took away one of the big guns. Like, anytime something major happens in the Marvel Universe now, they don't have shield to rely on. You know, yeah. Shield's not going to be there to to kind of gather the troops and take care of whatever the issue is. Like these heroes have to do it on their own, and that I think is going to be cool about the upcoming Avengers movie is seeing post Shield how all of these various characters decide to move forward and, and be heroes after that. Yeah, it it is really interesting how we all saw this coming. That the first wave was basically making the Ultimates, you know, and in the Ultimate universe, Shield really is the glue that holds everything together. It wasn't that way. I obviously, in the original comics. But the Ultimates kind of, they based everything around S.H.I.E.L.D. And so it's been kind of interesting to me to see them doing that and now moving away from it so quickly. Like I said, I mean, you only have a certain amount of time, but I still didn't expect them to do this so quickly. Jim will be back with more in a moment. But first, here is 30 seconds of trivia. In Captain America The Winter Soldier, the Falcon's flight gear sports a Stark Industries logo and in several scenes, the Black Widow wears a necklace with an arrow on it, a reference to her Avengers teammate Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye. Keep listening for more trivia each week. Stay tuned. Jim will be back momentarily. Come see 30 Minutes of Geek on stage with the studio audience Wednesday, September the 17th at 7 p.m. It's going to be a three-ring circus of fun as host Jim Yelton is joined by Professor Angela Speck from the University of Missouri Department of Physics and Astronomy to discuss the worst mistakes in science fiction movie dome. Then, filmmakers slash actor slash comedian Ben Hedrick jumps into the fun for the first episode of Guilty Pleasures. We'll put the Michael Bay masterpiece Armageddon under the microscope. It made a ton of money. But is it a great movie? The audience will decide as we do debate whether it is guilty or a pleasure. The night will conclude with the first monthly 30 minutes of Geek Trivia Thunderdome. Members of the audience will be selected to join Jim on one team to face off against a special mystery foe and their audience teammates in a winner-takes-all battle for geek supremacy. Tickets will be $6 for adults, $4 for students, with children 12 and under free. Come dressed as your favorite sci-fi, fantasy, or superhero character and receive 50% off your ticket price. All proceeds from the event will be donated to the Maple Bound Community Theatre's Willie Wilson Scholarship Fund. That's 30 Minutes of Geek on stage Wednesday, September the 17th, starting at 7 p.m. For more information, go to midnight-entertainment.com or facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek.
So I said earlier that I really loved Captain America the Winter Soldier, but let me start off this segment by saying I loved, loved, loved Guardians of the Galaxy. How much? Well, three loves and, and a lot more. Why don't you just listen to how I start this segment with Van? When it cuts to older Peter Quill on the alien planet walking through the ruins, when he put the cassette tape in his Walkman and pushed play, two seconds after that, I started smiling. And, and everybody who's seen the movie knows why I was smiling, because of the music that started playing. I didn't stop smiling until the end credits were done rolling. That's how fun that movie was. And I know I told you on your podcast, that was the vibe that they were selling from the very mm-hmm. beginning. How much did you enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, I loved it. I, I, I watched it once, the opening night, and then we did a sort of emergency roundtable podcast. Ralph Angelo and James Sixon came on with me like a spur of the moment to do a real quick deconstruction of it and talk about the whole thing. And there were a few things that I was not as happy with it about as, as I was hoping I would be. And then I went back to see it again just with my wife, left the kids at home a couple of days later, and I enjoyed it a lot more. And so anything I had problems with has pretty much been alleviated now. I, I thought it was it just it did everything so well. It was kind of a superhero movie. It was kind of a science fiction movie. It was, as everybody's been pointing out, it's kind of Firefly and Farscape kind of put together with Marvel characters. But what really impressed me is that all of the characters got pretty fully fleshed out personalities and got each one of them got a little bit of time. Just like, you know, one of the things that's usually so dependable about a Joss Whedon movie like Serenity or Avengers is that each of the main characters, each of the important or remotely important characters will get a moment or two to kind of establish their character and show you who they are. And I thought that James Gunn did a very good job of of kind of pulling a Joss Whedon there. In fact, you know, the story goes that after the lady wrote the script and then Gunn did his pass on it, everybody was thrilled with it, and then he showed it to uh, Joss Whedon, and Whedon says, no, no, it needs more James Gunn in it. And so he got Gunn to go back and make it even wackier, you know, and put in all more crazy stuff. So uh, I think that that really showed. I think that it's given it a very unique personality. Yeah, it it definitely does. And and I wrote a blog talking about James Gunn and and why he was a perfect choice for this movie and, and how much he raised the bar for movies of this kind now, but I think the personality of it is the big thing, Like, and and that's where I thought it was funny, because I heard the same thing about Joss Whedon telling him he needed to put more James Gunn in it, and if you've ever seen any of his other stuff, you know kind of what his sense of humor is, what his vision is, and and this movie is very much a James Gunn movie, and and I think that's one of the things that Marvel's done really well, is pick those kinds of creative talents to kind of shepherd their new projects. Whenever they go in a different direction. They make sure they find somebody that's just the right fit for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't wait to see how they kind of expand the cosmic corner of that universe, because they've kind of done with him what they've done with Joss Whedon with the main movies, and kind of given him carte blanche and said, okay, you know, go play. Yeah. Do what you want to do with these characters, and let's see what happens. Yeah, and they've said that pretty much most other cosmic related stuff from the Marvel comics will be introduced into the cinematic universe through Guardians of the Galaxy. So we already know, of course, there'll be a Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and so to me, the big question now, I mean, we know that the main plot of it will have something to do with Star-Lord's father, but also, the big question to me is, who else do you bring in? I mean, obviously, who do you make the father, but also do you find a way to bring Warlock in? Do you bring Quasar in? Do you bring Captain Marvel in? Do we actually see a Nova with powers? 
instead yeah. of just a, a, a spaceship pilot. Yeah, that was one thing, by the way, that was disappointing me, Guardians, is I understood completely why the Novas had to be the Federation of Planets and not, you know, superheroes with helmets and, well, they had helmets, but they weren't flying around like the human rocket. I understood why is because when your main characters are street-level characters, basically, even if they are a raccoon in a tree, they're still basically, they're Daredevil Spider-Man level. They're not Thor and Iron Man level. And when your main characters are like that, if the army that has to turn to them to be bailed out are superheroes, then they would overshadow the Guardians. Right? I mean, yeah, because yeah, then then you would have had a situation where you're saying, well, the Nova Corps has all of these powers. Why can't yeah. they stop Ronan? Right. Yeah, if Ronan's so powerful that he can take out the Nova Corps with all their powers, then right. what are the Guardians going to do? Yeah, yeah. It's like having an army of daredevils come to save uh, Asgard because the gods can't do it themselves. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make you know that doesn't make any sense. So although you know it, it, at the end of the day, what really stopped Ronan the Accuser was Peter Quill's mad dance skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And friendship is magic. And friendship is magic. Yes, I have to say I am very happy that they have released the closing clip of Groot dancing on oh, the yeah. internet so that I could watch it whenever I want. <laughs> and they're talking about coming up with some sort of toy version of dancing Baby Groot. That would be awesome. So I know they're going to have that ready for Christmas. There's no oh, way I'm... they don't have that ready for. I'm sure we'll have one here if they do. Thirty minutes of geek will be back right after this. Then they locked me in this prison tight, sold my mixtape. Now it's time to fight. I gotta defeat him. So I formed up a team, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. For as soft as can be. Only two feet tall But don't you be mistaken Rocket Raccoon will kill you all Always out for vengeance Against those who've done him wrong Ronan better watch out Drax is really strong Bunch of a-holes But we're the best team don't have a talking tree I gotta defeat him So I formed up a team, yeah Guardians of the Galaxy Will the assassin fall in love with me? Man, I hope so, even though she's green. I gotta defeat him, so I formed up a team, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. 
That Guardians of the Galaxy song is from the husband and wife combo known as the Screen Team. You can find this and more of their geek parodies on their own YouTube channel. It's at youtube.com slash user slash screen team. Let's wrap up the MCU conversation with author Van Allen Plexico. For the final segment, Van and I talk about the big finish to Marvel's Phase 2, the Avengers, Age of Ultron. Not only do we get the return of our favorite heroes, but they're joined by a number of new, exciting characters. They're introducing Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. We know for a fact, even though we don't know how much he's in it, that Rhodey is in it, possibly as Iron Patriot. And then they've, they've set up all of these other, you know, Falcon is not in it, as far as I know, which I kind of like. Because you said when we were talking about Winter Soldier that it was kind of like a team movie, and, and I really liked that aspect of it. I like the idea that maybe in the Captain America movies, he's got his own group of people that he kind of runs with in his solo movies. And, and that's why he doesn't call the Avengers all the time. And, you know, the same with Iron Man. You know, I, I like the fact that Rhodey didn't show up in Avengers in the War Machine armor. because. Right. It was something that was unique to the Iron Man movies, and it gives them their own kind of cast of characters to support them in, in their solo movies. But it looks like Age of Ultron is going to be everything in the Avengers amped up to 11. Oh, yeah. So what, what are you most excited about seeing with Age of Ultron, other than Ultron, played well, by James Spader? I was going to say, you have to, Ultron, just because, you know, Ultron, to me, is the number one Avengers villain. He's, if you do him right, and he's been done wrong a lot, but he's also been done so right. I mean, he's he's indestructible, so a whole team of Avengers can bang away at him, including Thor, and not hurt him unless you know exactly what to do. And he's, I've, I've said before, he's not, a, he's not a bad robot character. He's a demonic character who happens to be metal. I mean, he's really more like, you know, a demon than he is like a, a, a malfunctioning robot. And I hope that they play him that way. You know, where he, he, he you know he, he uses foul language and stuff. Robots aren't going to do that. That's a that's a character filled with rage and hatred, not just some you know Cylon that wants to conquer humans or whatever. But besides Ultron, I'm I'm really excited about the Vision because I, yeah because the Vision see the Vision for me the, one of the reasons this is so exciting is it's so easy for them to keep rolling out the acrobatic gun shooting arrow shooting kick you in the face characters. But when they bring out characters that have actual powers, that's when I get more excited. And the vision is definitely that. Well, and the thing that I was excited about was not only was it going to be Paul Bettany, which makes you think that they're tying the vision more into Tony Stark and Mm -hmm. Jarvis and and everything Mm -hmm. they set up in the three Iron Man movies. But also, Paul Bettany himself has said that it's he's playing the vision differently than when he did the voiceover for Jarvis. Like, it's not exactly, it's not like they just took Jarvis and put him into a robot body. Right. Like, he's been very clear that Vision is a different character, and there's a whole setup as to how the Vision comes to be, and his relationship with Ultron, and his relationship with Tony, and that it's a very, and his relationship with everybody else on the team, and it's a very unique take for the Marvel Universe, for the the cinematic universe, and I I kind of like the idea of having this character that isn't human, that doesn't know how to be human, and needs to kind of look at all of these other characters and kind of, we're going to see 
how he feels about all of these different characters and give us kind of like an alien look at the characters that we already know. I suspect that there will be a lot of data from Star Trek The Next Generation in him. Which, that's who I sort yeah, of think Yeah, I, I kind of think you're right. Because a lot of it's going to be him kind of learning, experiencing, kind of being human or whatever and having questions and doubts and everything. And I can almost see Ultron being like, you know, come with me, my son, I'll teach you what you should be and what you should know. And he's like, but that seems wrong, father, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tony's like, hey, we'll go party. It'll be great. That sounds you know, interesting. You know what's really weird about the sequel is that the newer characters have gotten all the attention, and it's almost like people aren't as excited about the fact that we get to see all of the Avengers back together again. I mean, oh, I'm excited like, about that. I just, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it just seems like all of the talk is about, and all of the publicity has been about all of the new additions to the MCU, and it's kind of like, wait a minute. I just want another opportunity to see Hulk and Thor fight, or Hulk and Iron Man. <laughs> And get it on because you know yeah. the big setup is that that there is going to be a set piece where Iron Man's in the Hulkbuster armor and he's fighting the Hulk and it's like okay that's something we haven't seen yet I can't wait to see that. Do you think he's going to fight the Hulk in it though, or is he going to fight Ultron in it? I'm fairly sure that they've said that he fights the Hulk. That there's some reason that they fight, you know, huh. be- because it, it's a team up movie. I mean, you have to have the heroes fight for some reason. Yeah. Maybe so. I, I can. I don't know. I shouldn't try to speculate and tear it all apart because I'll be completely wrong and it just wastes time. 30 Minutes of Geek will be back right after this. It's time for our first dip into the 30 Minutes of Geek listener mailbag. You can always send questions and comments or suggestions through our website at midnight-entertainment.com or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek and let us know what you think of the show there. So this week we're going to kick things off with an email from CB Guy from Springfield. As the proprietor of the Android's Dungeon and Baseball Card Shop, I consider myself a connoisseur of the finer things in geek culture. However, you, sir, are misleading the public with your show titled 30 Minutes of Geek. Episode 1 was 30 minutes and 17 seconds long. This is a bigger mistake than when Data changed the Enterprise's shield harmonics from 324.95 to 113.8 in Episode 128 of Star Trek The Next Generation. All I can say is, worst podcast ever i will of course keep listening fervently to find even more mistakes to nitpick hey if there's one thing that i've figured out over my lifetime of being a fan of science fiction and comics and horror movies and just genre entertainment in general it's that we have a creator given right to nitpick to death that which we love and science fiction conventions and message boards and and heck 90 percent of the internet is all about bitching and moaning about little things that you love so go ahead because that means you're listening and that means that you're a fan of what we're doing so go ahead and springfield just nitpick us to death 
Now, our second comment this week was actually sent to us on Facebook, and it was one of those things where when you do a podcast like this, you're pleasantly surprised by who you hear from. And Michael Cronister is somebody that I have known probably since preschool, and he was my best friend growing up, and it was great to hear from him and and glad to know that he's listening to the show. So here's what Mike had to say. Hey, just listen to the podcast. Sounds great. Just a comment on the Marvel vision when it comes to movies. What impresses me is that they started with Iron Man. I collected Iron Man growing up, but I wonder how many individuals would have said Iron Man was a Black Sabbath song versus a comic character before the movie. Their top-tier characters like Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and X-Men were not available, so that limited things, but I think the quality of that first movie set the stage for the rest of their properties. I agree with Mike, and, you know, the thing about Iron Man that Marvel really lucked out was the casting of Robert Downey Jr. The first Iron Man movie works because of Robert Downey Jr. The script was okay, the effects were great, you know, the the rest of the cast was okay, but Robert Downey Jr. really hits it out of the park. And and if you think about his career before Iron Man and after Iron Man, it's it's like night and day. But he really sold Iron Man and, and made you believe Tony Stark as a character. Robert Downey Jr. made that movie, and he set the stage for everything that was to follow. Thanks again for all the emails and comments. You can find our email contacts at midnight-entertainment.com. And make sure to like us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek. You can comment there, and we'll read more of your comments and emails in future episodes. <laughs> So that's going to wrap things up for this week. Thanks to the announcer, Bot 9000, the king and queen of geek song parodies, the screen team, and our very special guest, Van Allen Plexico. You can find out all about Van's past, present, and future works, as well as his own podcast at whiterocketbooks.com. And of course, for updates on everything related to Midnight Entertainment, you can check out midnight-entertainment.com. If you're in the mid-Missouri area, don't forget to make plans to join us for 30 Minutes of Geek Live. It's coming up Wednesday, September 17th at the Talking Horse Theater in downtown Columbia. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. and tickets are $6 for adults, $4 for students with children 12 and under free. And if you like cosplay, come in costume and receive 50% off your ticket price. Thanks again for being a part of the worldwide program once more. For 30 Minutes of Geek, I'm Jim Yelton reminding you that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. We'll see you next week. Minutes of Geek is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC Copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Find out more about Midnight's exciting offerings including a full library of 30 Minutes of Geek episodes, bonus content, blogs, and much more at midnight-entertainment.com.